Hey everyone, welcome to this week's sermon podcast of B Church. Here, you can listen to our latest weekly sermons for your spiritual growth. We believe that this message will really bless you. All right, so, so my title, I've got actually a couple of titles. One main title for, for what we're doing, and then, and, uh, so, so the one is that we want the glory of God. Who of you wants to be in a place of glory? All right, and there's many promises about the glory of God that God has given us. So when we want to build, as I said last week, we just touched on a couple of things. We build with the end in mind. Amen. When you start building, you have a certain picture. That's why the architects, they put up that drawing and we build all these models of what it's going to look like. And we get everybody excited and say, hey, this is where we're going to go to. This is what it's going to look like. So the end is the glory of God to manifest. The word says that, 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 that when they filled the temple and they were worshiping and they were gathering, God came and the glory filled the house. Amen. And we want God's glory every time when we gather to fill the house. Good. The amens is getting more. Praise God. But there's one part that I want to speak today on is, is how do we get to the glory? So this is going to be the foundation of how we're going to see the glory. You have to see first. All right. You have to see first. We are made for God's glory. We are, we are vessels and, and God's glory is a gift to mankind and creation. All right, so, so you need to understand that actually God's glory is the inheritance of every child of God. Amen. It's your inheritance. It's part of what we are and what we need to receive. And when we enter into God's glory, when we dwell in His presence, you receive His love and His grace and you understand His heart and all these things, learn His will, experience divine power. This divine power brings healing it sets free, it liberates, it brings deliverance, all these things, it saves. It enacts miracles and wonders. Come on. When God reveals His glory. You see, in the realm of glory, something happens. That's a place of creative miracles. We creative miracles. Creative miracles meaning that limbs grow or organs are renewed and all these sort of things. And I want to see that. If you don't know that, but we've got word that says when we worship, people will be delivered. When we worship as a congregation, people will be healed and touched. It says that ambulances will come and drop people. Come on. So we're standing, but we're not seeing that yet. But we know that as we come and God's glory comes because it's got nothing to do with us. But it's got to do with us as well. Because your participation is needed to enter into God's presence. God, God's glory didn't come and fill an empty place. God's glory came when people were with one voice and one accord, one heart, where they were together seeking. Glory comes, there's two parts. When you worship God and when there's repentance, you access glory. There's something that's released. But not, you see, we're not living in this glory yet. We don't sing. And sometimes, I don't know why, there's many reasons, but we settle for less. We settle for, for less in our relationships as we serve God. And, and Jesus prayed this on the eve of his crucifixion, John 17. He prays this, he says, verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them. That's us. That they may be one just as we are one. So Jesus comes and he says, Father, he's, this, if, you, if you go and read John 17, there's two prominent words that he uses the whole time. He says the whole time that we may be one, 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 unity, one, 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 and the time, glory, 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 glory. 
So there's something about being one, being in unity and seeing the glory. He says, restore me to my former glory and that what I had, my majesty. And now we are one, Father, and as we are one and we and them are one, you send your glory. So Jesus gave us the same glory. Come on. So he, he, he gave something to us. The question is, what do we do with that revelation? What are we actively doing with this? How can we live according to the glory that Jesus gave us? Because we read it, but we don't access it. We don't do anything about it, isn't it? And hopefully this morning is going to start laying the foundation of how do we access it. You have to see first. All right, the glory is, is not just a theological concept. It's a reality that can continually be experienced. And that's what we want. But you need to have understanding as well. So the glory in John 17 is the word doxa. And doxa means this, it's, it's glory, it, there's different meanings, it says very apparent, and the wide affliction it says that it's literally, figuratively, objectively, subjectively, glory, honor, praise, worship. So it's all these things, doxa is the word. So Jesus says the glory, the doxa that you've given me, I give to them. But at the root word of doxa is dikineo, or dikinuo, all right? And what it means there is to show or to expose to the eyes. Therefore, you have to see. It's something that God shows. He exposes to the eyes. Metaphorically, he says to give evidence or proof of a thing. So there's something that God wants to expose and let your eyes see so that we can access it. Because the glory and that what he exposed to our eyes that we see is given to us. The word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So there's a tasting, there's a seeing. You see, in the glory of God, every need is met. In the glory of God, what happens is that, that in His manifest presence, everything is or exists. There's no time and glory, all right? Every need of the human being and humanity can be met. There we are complete. Come on, there's healing, there's deliverance, right? The creative miracles, all these things is in the atmosphere of glory when we're in that place. The thing is, when we were first created, Adam and Eve, as human beings, when we were created, we did not know sickness. All right? One. Thanks, J.D. We did not know poverty. We did not know death because of the glory. They were created and they lived in the realm of glory. No sickness, no poverty, no diseases, no death, no nothing. You see, so, so they didn't have knowledge of this. Yet after the sin and we failed and we rebelled against God and we were removed from His presence, then started, you know, we began, we began to experience these things. Death, poverty, sickness, illnesses, all these things. The process of giving birth, all these things. Ladies, just imagine it would have been a different thing. I have a testimony. My father and mother had friends that the, 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 the couple said they're going to pray and break this curse. And she gave birth to their children painless. You see, so, so there's a part and a real harm that we can operate in. So according to John 17's definition of, of God wants us to, ex, to, to see, wants to expose us to see, and then he says not just for you to see, but others to see the works and the glory, the manifestation of His power in and through you. Because it's given to us. So He manifested His glory, shown something of the fullness. 
Now, the glory is the essence of all who God is. That's the essence. Remember last year when I spoke on it, I said, Jesus said, Father, I have manifested your name to the people. To manifest the name means you have to enact or do everything that that name entails. You cannot do just some of it, then you haven't done it. So Jesus says, I've manifested your name. So the glory is the essence of who God is. So if God says, I give you the glory, the same that I carry, that means that the fullness, the essence of who God is, lives in you. He's given you access to that. That's why it says, I am in Christ and Christ in me. So, so we need to see that God's glory is also a realm of eternity. Maybe it's a weird concept, but it's, it's infinite, it's boundless. There's no restrictions in glory. There's no restrictions. You see, things happen beyond the imagination of human beings. His manifested glory is actually just eternity revealed on earth. That's glory. Is the eternity that's revealed as a revelation and an exposing that comes. It's glory is eternity revealed on earth. Glory revealed is the impact of God's powerful and unforgettable mark seen and heard in the natural. And the glory is for us. The glory is for us. So let's get into scripture. All right. The glory is for us. It says creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. Come on. The manifestation of the sons of God. So let's read Ephesians 5 as 1 and 2. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up, as, uh, up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice unto God. So today is going to be more teaching, all right, to get our minds to a place. So it says that, that be imitators of me. So Jesus says that he gave himself up and then became a fragrant offering, a fragrant sacrifice unto God. So God speaks about us that need to present ourselves and gives ourselves, give ourselves up unto the Lord, to him, so that you can become a fragrant offering. Amen. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul deals with this concept. He says, thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us, come on, say through us. Spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death and to the others a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Come on, say, I am. I am sufficient for these things. Christ made you the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. An aroma. One of the aspects of glory is the fragrance that it carries. The fragrance and the aroma, it carries something. There's a fragrance. And we say that when we are soaked in His presence, you start to take on the nature and the fragrance of that which you're soaked in. Last week, I just touched on that example of the pickle and the cucumber. If you soak long enough in that spices and that vinegar, you become a pickle. All right? Not in a pickle. You become a pickle. You actually take on the nature and the fragrance of that which you soak in. So John 17, what Jesus actually says is that, that as we come now and he gives us the glory and we lay down our lives, we are starting to take on the nature and the fragrance of him. That we start to come and we are changed. Being one, he says, Father, as we are one, let them and we be one and they be one. One means this. It means that you are intimately close. 
All right? If we are one, you have to be very close. So, therefore, proximity matters. And we said it proximity because proximity is, is necessary when we have a close relationship and I need to correct you. I do it in love. In other words, I do circumcision on you. There's a circumcision of the heart that takes place. But when there's close proximity, you receive that. But if there's no relationship, if there's no oneness, if, it's, if we're not close and I have to do the same, I have to come and correct you in love or do something, you're not going to experience the love and the circumcision of heart. You're going to experience it as a javelin that I throw at you. And you're going to feel hurt. You're going to feel pain and disappointed. And therefore, he says that, that we have to be one. Because glory deals with your heart. There's a circumcision that takes place. That's why we bring it up. Because being close to Christ means that, that you come to a place where He circumcised your heart, your thoughts, your mind through His Word and through His Spirit. You see, glory deals with our heart or exposes our hearts. Glory exposes your pains, your shortfallings. We all fall short of the glory of God, for we all have sinned, Romans 3. So glory exposes something that God wants to deal with. God wants to bring healing to that. And then he speaks, Paul speaks, Romans 2, 28, 29. Then he says something about the Jews. Remember, they were one with God. They were chosen. He says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. All right, so Paul starts dealing with something about identity and being one with God. And he says it's not outward, it's inward, and there's a circumcision that takes place. And we say that to see the glory of God and we want to manifest it, building with the end in mind, you first have to see. So circumcision of the heart deals with your seeing. It shows you, helps you to see correctly. Because you cannot see correctly, and we're going to get to that. You see, and Paul deals with circumcision. It's not a concept that's foreign to him. As a Jew that was trained in the Word, actually, you know, he's aware of the discussion that the Lord gives, Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. God says that about His people. He says, and the Lord your God, Deuteronomy, yes, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your soul that you may live. All right, so God says this. Paul actually quotes God. He says, a circumcision of the heart. And God says this, what? That you can love me with all your heart and your soul, and that you may live. The physical circumcision was just a sign of the covenant. But the physical circumcision was just actually a sign of the inward circumcision of the heart that Israel will belong to him and that they will be a part of God and that they will fully love him inside and out. That was just the sign of that. All right, circumcision of the heart is so that you may live. That's what God says. So when we come into God's presence, he wants to deal with your heart circumcised, it's for your good. He says, so that you may? Okay, one more time. So that you may? Live. So there's a reason God does it. He says, so that you can live. The glory is the only place where you can experience life in abundance. Jesus says, I came to give you life and life abundantly. 
Therefore, he comes and says, now that it's done, Father, you glorify me. The glory that I have, now I give to them so that you can experience the life in abundance. That's why he come to give it to us, so that we can start getting that abundant life that he says. So there's something about the law of Moses and glory that was connected. And Paul starts dealing with this glory. He says this, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, that's the, the Ten Commandments, the tablets, came with such glory that Israel could not gaze on Moses' face because of his glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? All right? Now, he, he calls it the ministry of death. Sure, that's quite something radical to say. But what Paul actually says is, that's what the law does to us. All right? He says the law slays us as guilty sinners and it, it kills us actually so that we can be resurrected into a new covenant. That's what he means, or what he means, or what he meant with this, that, that it's a ministry of death. The law actually shows you, you fail, you fail. You didn't live up to the standard. And it says, it shows you your sin. And the word says, where sin is, there is death. The ultimate ending of sin is death. And it says, so it brings you to a place, it slays. That's why it calls it a ministry of death. But then it says, we are resurrected into a new covenant as the Spirit. Romans 7, 5 says, um, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit of death. That's how he describes it. Then he continues, 2 Corinthians 3, 9. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, because the law condemns us, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed in its glory. Can you just remember quickly back to the mountain where God, the, the clouds gathered, there was lightning and the sound of trumpet voices, all these things. But in the there's a glory that far exceeds that taste. What once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that has surpassed it. So there's a, there's a greater glory available to us. Verse 11. For if what was being bought, brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent, temporary, permanent. That what is very bold, not like of a glory that was former and one that surpasses. And he says, but now there's a problem. We have hardness of heart. We have a veil over our hearts. And that's why we cannot see. That's why the glory is fading again. But then he says, but Jesus comes and he has to lift that veil. He has to make you see. That's why you first have to see before the glory can come. You have to have that veil. And that's why then Paul says, then with an unveiled face, as you behold, then we transformed from glory to glory, to glory, to glory. And it's a process. So the thing is this, as you start beholding God, you are changed. As you behold Him, you changed. And, and that, you look like what you worship. You look like what you worship. So the more he says, as we behold him, so the more we behold him, the more you look at him, the more you start to become like him. The more you start seeing that image and that reflection. But it says, but you are blind and your hearts are veiled, so that's why we cannot see. You see, how does someone who's blind for the glory of God come to see for who he really is? 
And I'm, I want to deal with that so that we can just get that out of the way, that we can see God. All right? Because our natural eyes and our ears and our brains are all part of the process. We need that. All right? So that little thing you've got here is not useless. All right? You, you have it for a reason. Because without this, we cannot see in the natural. Because God speaks. Paul says, he says that we see the glory of God through nature. So you need to be able to see with your senses and ear and brain and receive God's revealed, all right, His glory in creation, incarnation, the gospel, the scripture, God is revealed. So we need those senses. But this natural seeing is not the decisive, it's not decisive in seeing the glory of God, all right? I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going to be a bit technical, all right? But it's going to go deeper and then it will make sense. But we need to see the glory. Jesus says this, we need our senses, but he says in Matthew 13, 13, seeing, in, or in seeing, they do not see. So you're seeing, but you don't see. All right? So he says that, that there's something more than just the use of your natural eyes and ears. There's something more that must happen than just seeing with your natural eyes. So, so not only was Moses veiled, he says, but the hearts of the Jews were covered with covering of prejudice. The inner significance of the Levitical code, the, the law that was brought. When they said they listened without spiritual insight. Come on, we need spiritual insight. Amen. All right. The way the Apostle Paul, uh, Paul puts it, all right, tongue twisters. He says in Ephesians 1:18, he says, You must have the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know. All right? So Jesus say, we see, but not seeing. So there's something about your heart that he wants to do, because he says, with the heart you need to see, all right? But you know that your heart doesn't have eyes, does it? Yes, it does. It's biblical. I'm going to show you now. Because he says here, the eyes of your heart must be enlightened that you can know. So Paul gives us, starting to give us clues on how to see the glory. All right? And, and most of us maybe are comfortable. Maybe you're comfortable with the idea that your heart is not just this blood-pumping organ in your chest, all right? There's, there's a soul. There's something more to you than just your body. There's a person inside. Actually, that's the real you. Amen? Intuitively, you know that, that, that there's more to us than just the flesh and the bones. All right? Some of you have personality as well. Okay? Amen. So Paul speaks on the eyes of the heart. And he says that, that this inner person is the real you. This inner person, the real us, sees and knows things that's not identical with what the eyes and the body sees. That's what he says. We see differently with our eyes here, and you see differently with the eyes of your heart. And he wants you to see. That's why he says the glory, he wants to show or expose you to see. That's why Jesus starts speaking about the glory that he wants you to see. Because there's an eye that you need to look with that's not this eye. It's the eye of the heart. All right? So your spiritual seeing is beyond the, the natural seeing. There's a, there's a spiritual hearing that's beyond your natural hearing. There's a spiritual discernment that's beyond your natural reasoning. And, and he comes and he says that, how do we picture this? That the heart can see the glory of God. There's a way. So, so hold on to your seat now, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it as easy as possible, step by step. So if it's boring, great. Amen.
make you jump on your seat and shout. This is to get you to a place where you can understand. All right, so the, the way Paul speaks that how we see the glory of God, he says that, that our knowledge of the glory of God is in nature. There's a clue. The knowledge of the glory of God. All right, he says, Paul says this, for we all know God. We all know God. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. All right? But he says, we all know God. So it's, it, Paul says, everyone knows God. So you've got no excuse. Romans 1 says, nobody has got an excuse. For we all know God for his visible and invisible attributes. His divine power, his glory can be seen in nature. All right? So you have no excuse. So he says, everyone knows God, but then there's a lot of verses where he says, hey, by nature, people do not know God. So how do we get this? All right? He says, all of us know God, but by nature, we do not know God. 1 Corinthians 1.21, he says it. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 5 says, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Galatians 4.8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So he says, you know God, but by nature you do not know God. So how does it work? What, what does he say? All right. What does Paul mean in Romans 1.21 when he says, all know God? And, and Romans 1.19 and 20 says this. This is the answer. For what can be known about God is plain, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Amen? So He says, this is how you know God. His divine power and divine nature of His glorious eternal power and divine nature has been made manifest. You can perceive it in creation. You can see it. And you have to know by this that there is a God. All right? And you have no excuse. But then he says that, that there's more to this than just knowing God. Because he says in Romans 2, 14 and 15, that some people who have never heard about the law of God, they do what the law requires. So there's a place where you know God, you have no excuse because it can be seen, but there's a deeper part of that where you, you do what the law requires un, although you don't know the law. Your conscience witnesses to the will of God. That's what he says, so Romans 2, 14 and 15. For when the Gentiles do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bear witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So Paul puts it like this. He says that they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. So how do we marry the two? How do we get to a place of knowing God, Romans 1:21, because of nature, and we can see Him, and it includes this deeper experience of Romans 2:15. And I think here's the analogy that maybe can help you, right? So here's the practical side of it for those who want the practical. So just think about this. The innate or, or, innate or natural knowledge of God, His will, all right, 
his nature, his glory, think of it as a kind of a template or a mold in the human heart to God's glory. In other words, if the glory of God was seen with the eyes of the heart, it would fit the, 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 the template perfectly. And you will know the glory is real. You will know that what's happening now, this is of God. Because glory is the realm of eternity revealed on earth. There's many things we don't know. Come on. So how strange and weird is to know this is of God or not? All right. So there's a template in your heart that corresponds with the glory of God. That God has placed within you. We would know that we are made for this. And Paul says that all, all humans, we know God because of the law that's written in our hearts. So what he means is this glory-shaped template in every heart is waiting to receive the glory of God. God has written something within you that corresponds and recognizes the glory. And when you see that it's waiting, it's crying out, it's waiting, and when it sees it, it corresponds, it, it's drawn to it. Does it make sense? That there's something that connects with it. All right? We all know in the sense that, that we have to witness in our hearts that you're made for the glory of God. There's that dormant lying expectancy and longing for God's glory. And the shape of deep in God wants to come. That's why God says the glory that He has, He gives to us in this shape, this mold. So when the glory needs to come, where does it need to come from? Not from above, from within. The glory needs to come out. We say, oh Lord, let your glory come down. Understand what we say. But we actually need to say, let the glory come out. Let the glory come out. That what's within us, what you've placed there, let that start to manifest. Because the glory that I have, I give to you. Come on. So here's our problem. The reason we don't see the glory of God, and that's what, what Paul starts to do, is the concision of the heart. He says, not because the template is faulty, it's not shining. He says, the problem and the reason is because of hardness of heart. alienated from the life of God of the ignorance ignorant due to their hardness of heart that's the hardness of heart we love the dark not the light so in that analogy I'm, I'm ending off it's a big plane to land in the analogy of the template you see it means that there's a hollow out perfectly shaped for the satisfying glory of God that's within you. But instead, it's packed hard with the love of other things. That's why you cannot see the glory. Remember, three, four weeks back, the worship that God commands. It says, it's not that we don't worship God enough. That, that template, that mold that corresponds with the glory is packed with love of other things. So when the glory of God shines into your heart, you know, however, through creation, incarnation, through Jesus, through the gospel, through scripture, it finds no place. You cannot find place because you, you cannot feel it or you cannot perceive it as fitting. 
Because to the natural mind, that's what Paul says, it's foolishness. Natural mind is hostile to God, so you cannot perceive the glory. You cannot see Him. Because that shaped mold that corresponds with the glory of idols, other things. And God says, I want to come and I want to have your heart. Jesus pushes his, this hardness of heart. He says, it comes sometimes to the point of murder. John 8, 37, he says, you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. You see, the place which is supposed to correspond to God when He brings the truth and the light and the power is so filled with other things that He says, when my words come to set you free, it finds no place in your heart. It finds no room. You see, they could see the words. They could remember His words. But they couldn't see them as glorious. They hear the words. He says, but they did not love the words. He says, instead they love darkness. And that filled the template of the heart. The template that was supposed to be designed for the glory and the light of God. And that's why we struggle to see. It's because God wants to that. Can you see why Paul speaks and he says, I want to circumcise your heart. Then you start seeing. It's about this. Come on, let's, as we start to end off. If we are on the right track, say we are. Amen. The only hope for seeing the glory of God that we see in Scripture is that God needs to cut away the hard hearts, those idolatrous substitutes that's in your heart, those things that's packed in the temple that takes the place where God wants to fill with glory. You see, God wants to do something supernatural because remember what we read in 2 Corinthians now. He says, Christ needs to lift the veil so that you with an unveiled face can behold Him and be transformed from glory to glory. So you cannot even do it, but you can respond and say, here I am. Come and remove the veil so that you can start seeing. And the Bible speaks of it as supernatural acts. You see, one of it, I'm not going to give all the references. He says, it's like shining into our hearts with divine glory, granting of truth and repentance, the giving of faith, raising us from the dead, new birth by the word, a revelation of the Father, revelation of the Son, enlightening the eyes of the heart, being given the secrets of the kingdom of God. That's what happens. When God starts to lift the veil, starts removing the hardness of that template. When this miracle happens, God cuts and burns and melts and removes from that template the thing that alienates you from God. And glory starts to take its rightful place. And then you'll start seeing something. Come on, let's stand together. Just close your eyes. Just, God wants to just deal with you. Respond and respond to God's glory when it comes. But sometimes we don't respond because we cannot see. And therefore God wants to cut, circumcise your heart so that the eyes of the heart may be enlightened and that you may know.
Come on, if, as you there, just start to pray, focus on the Lord that He maybe start to reveal something in your heart saying, There's this little thing that I want you to deal with. Sometimes it's hardness of heart, bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment. Sometimes it's things that we need to let go so that you can understand God is good, that He brings forgiveness and healing. It doesn't matter how hard your heart is. Give it to the Lord. Because God can deal with that. God can break that hard heart and He can give back that template, that place that's made for His glory. So Father, I pray that you will come and and do that within us. Father, that you will come and start dealing with every heart that as you want to circumcise our hearts. That it will not just be a mind thing, but Father, that's through your Spirit. Because your Word says we are circumcised in our hearts by the Spirit. That God's Spirit needs to open the eyes of our hearts. So that what once what was boring and, 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 and empty, absurd or foolish, may become strong and powerful. You see, God's glory is seen in worship through repentance. So maybe we need to come and say, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive me and let it go. Whatever you want to bring to the Lord, allow God to cut your heart and start filling it with a template for His glory. So, Father, we just come. We just cry out. Come on, just cry out to the Lord. Say, Lord, we want to see you. Father, we want to see you. I bring our hearts this morning before you to say, Lord, you come and do a work that we cannot do. Jesus, this morning we come and we ask that you will come and lift the veil and remove the veil. Because whenever the law was read, it says we couldn't understand because there was a veil of our hearts. Our hearts were hardened. There was a veil upon our eyes we could not see. But this morning, by your word, we know you can lift the veil. This morning we come and we ask Jesus in our hearts that, Father, you will liberate us. I declare that you are set free in Jesus' name. I declare that the veil is torn. That as Jesus has said on the cross, it's finished. And the veil is torn that you'll access that place where you will live under an open heaven. And the veil is torn and that you will see the glory of God. And that His glory will fill the heart of every man. That your heart will be filled with the love and the compassion. The glory and the fire of God. Thank you, Jesus, for that. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will keep on just ministering to our hearts. Show us, show us this week where we need to lay down. I want you to go this week and lay before the Lord. Separate yourself and be at a place this time to say, Lord, come and show my heart. And whatever it's in it, I bring to you so that it can be filled with your glory. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to know more about who we are and what we do, go visit our website at bchurch.co.za. We're formed to function. Let's be church.